0: in a position to announce that Mr Nelson Mandela will be released at the Victor Verster prison on Sunday the 11th of February at about 3 p.m. There is Mr Nelson Mandela. Mr Mandela a free man taking his first steps into a new South Africa.
1: This is the moment the world has been waiting for. And the top news of the day here in South Africa and around the world. The recent release of Nelson Mandela from prison has triggered a power struggle between the ANC and their black rivals. There are reports that the government has been secretly providing arms to these groups, contributing to the violence that has erupted throughout the country. South Africa appears to be on the verge of a civil war. Mr.
0: Mandela has travelled to Durban in an effort to persuade 100,000 angry young ANC supporters on the front line to make peace.
1: Take your knives and your guns and your hongas and throw them into the sea. After four years of talks, the day black South Africans have been fighting for has finally arrived. For the first time, they are free to cast their vote alongside whites. An estimated 23 million people went to the polls today. I, Nelson Roy Lahla Mandela, do hereby swear to be faithful to the Republic of South Africa. Never, never, and never again shall it be that this beautiful land will again experience the oppression of one by another and suffer the indignity of being the skunk of the world.
2: Nelson Mandela was a remarkable man. Not—it's pretty hot there, Joe. Can you take me down? Not a uh, sinless man. He was—he was a man, but he was a pretty remarkable man. And uh, for 20 years, he directed peaceful, nonviolent acts of defiance against the South African government and its racist policies. He and a partner uh, founded a law firm to represent um, low-income uh, black folks in the country, and they would give them no-cost or low-cost representation. And in 1956, this peaceful man was arrested. He and 150 other uh, peaceful activists were arrested and charged with treason for their acts against the white uh, supremacist government. And they were acquitted for that. Well, in 1961... Um, Mandela began to to believe that armed struggle might be a better way to bring about the changes they needed. So he he formed this organization known as MK, and it was an armed offshoot of the ANC. The ANC is the the black organization, the black political organization in South Africa. And the ANC was dedicated to sabotage and guerrilla war tactics to end apartheid. In 1961, um, Mandela organizes a three-day labor strike across the whole country. And then in 1962, he and a bunch of his uh, buddies in the the ANC, especially the the MK, were arrested. They were sentenced, sentenced to life in prison. Um, for their acts against the government. Because in that time, in 1962, the, the white uh, folks in South Africa considered him a terrorist, and he was one who was hell-bent on overthrowing the white supremacist way of doing things um, in South Africa. And so it was, a, it was a remarkable day, this this video clip we just showed you, when he was released from prison. And it was, quite, uh, quite honestly, because of all the pressure that, that international governments were putting on them they had a new uh, president who came into power, and he was instrumental. The cleric was instrumental in getting Nelson Mandela released from prison. But to go from um, a terrorist in 61 to president 30 years later, that's a pretty remarkable journey, isn't it? And, uh, and ha- he had the perfect opportunity to use his office then to, um, to get even with other people to, for revenge. And he was not that type of person. And you're going to see that he had a very difficult job trying to convince people that this was the new South Africa, one South Africa. And uh, this will kind of show you some of the attitudes, this next video clip.
0: We need more men. Did you talk to Brenda about it? Yes, yesterday. Ah, that must be Jason with the schedule. Come in, beautiful. What's this? Mr. Jason Chabalala. That's me. Am I under arrest? Captain Fader and team reporting for duty, sir. What duty? With a presidential bodyguard. We've been assigned to this office. Here are our orders. The special friends, right? You'll see that they've been signed. Well, I don't care if Just wait
2: here.
1: So just yourself. Awesome. You look agitated, Jason.
0: Well, that's because there are four special branch cops in my office.
1: Oh, what did you do?
0: Nothing. But they say they're the presidential bodyguards and they have orders
1: signed by you. Ah, yes, ah, yes. Well, uh, these men are special trained by SAS. They have lots of experience. They protected the clerk. Yes, sir, but it doesn't mean that they have to come. You on. asked for more men, didn't you? Yes, sir. I asked... um, When people see me in public, they see my bodyguards. You represent me directly. The Rainbow Nation starts here. Reconciliation starts here.
0: Reconciliation, sir.
1: Yes, reconciliation, Jason.
0: Comrade President,
1: not long ago these guys tried to kill us. Maybe even these four guys in my office tried and often succeeded. Yes, I know. Forgiveness starts here too. Forgiveness liberates the soul. It removes fear. That is why it is such a powerful weapon. Please, Jason. Try. Sorry to disturb
0: you, sir.
2: some incredible things Mandela says here he says the rainbow nation meaning everybody that's you know doesn't matter what color you are you belong to the South African nation starts here Um, reconciliation starts here forgiveness starts here and so he said about this, his whole agenda in his first five-year term was to reconcile black people who'd been brutally oppressed by the white government. And uh, the World Cup was going to be played the year after he came into power, and Mandela saw this as a wonderful opportunity. He said, why not unite the most divided nation on the planet around a common goal to support the national team, which was called the Springboks?" But the problem was, to the black supporters... There were about three things that represented everything that was wrong with South Africa and the white government. One was the old anthem that they used to sing, so they did away with that. One was the flag, um, and they they tried to do away with that. And then the, the third most detestable thing to the blacks in the country at that time was the green and gold Springbok jersey. Um, And and so this explains, if you watch the whole movie, you'll see this, this was actually literally what happened. Um, Anytime the national team would be playing anyone from another nation, there was a blacks only section in the stadium and the blacks would go in there and they would cheer the opponent. Because they could not stand all of the white players, the whites only, on the Springboks. And uh, this, next, um, this next clip kind of shows you this mentality that Mandela and, and his government had to overcome if they were going to unite around the Springboks.
0: You're a very lucky boy. It's a real Springbok practice jersey. I mean, I know it's a bit big, but it's warm and it'll last forever. Huh? Come. Come and take it. It's yours. I will to take it? If he wears it, the others will beat him up. Because ah, the Springboks are playing so badly. No, because for them, Springbok still represents apartheid. And now for the next item on our agenda. The NSC executive proposes a vote on the following Mushi, that as a prominent symbol of the apartheid era, the colors, emblem, and the name of the springboks be eliminated immediately. And that all sports teams representing South Africa shall be known forthwith as the Proteus. Now, comrades, we will submit this motion to a hand vote, and in the event of a close count, we'll go to a written ballot. All of those in favor of eliminating the spring box, raise your hands. VIVA PROCES! VIVA! VIVA! VIVA, viva PROCES! VIVA! VIVA! VIVA PROCES! Viva. 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 VIVA! VIVA! AMANDA! AMANDA!
2: Yeah, Both units to their cars, right now. Go ahead and play the next scene, Miriam. Go ahead and click that one.
1: Brothers. Sisters, Comrades, I am here because I believe you have made a decision with insufficient information and foresight. I am aware of your earlier vote. I am aware that it was unanimous. Nonetheless, I believe we should restore the
0: Springboks.
1: Restore their name, their emblem, and their colors immediately. Let me tell you why. On Robin Island, in Polesmoor Prison, all of my jailers were Afrikaners. For 27 years, I studied them. I learned their language, read their books, their poetry. I had to know my enemy before I could prevail against them and we did prevail, did we not? All of us here we prevailed. Our enemy is no longer the Africana. They are our fellow South Africans, our partners in a democracy. And they treasure Springbok Rugby. If we take that away, we lose them. We prove that we are what they feared we would be. We have to be better than that. We have to surprise them with compassion, with restraint, and generosity. I know all of the things they denied us But this is no time to celebrate petty revenge. This is the time to build our nation using every single brick available to us, even if that brick comes wrapped in green and gold. You elected me your leader. Let me lead you now. Who is with me on this?
2: Who is with me? Can you see how this was such a strange message? Um, When he started saying the spring box, he called them the box for short. When he would say they belong to all of us, they belong to the whole nation. People couldn't fathom that because it represented apartheid. Mandela said they booed me. And then only years later could he chuckle about this. He said, My own people, they booed me when I stood before them, urging them to support the Springboks. But eventually, um, he achieved his goal. Come the morning of the final, the Springboks of South Africa were going against the, the all black team, and that's the color of the team, the team uniforms. Um, they won, and the whole entire nation was changed because they had this common goal. Now, he was criticized greatly during this whole process because they're saying you're risking your, your political capital. You're going to you risk losing your, um, your position as leader if you, if you continue to try to get us to support this rugby team. And he said, the moment I'm afraid to risk my position is the moment I'm no longer fit to lead. That's a pretty good leader, huh? And I think that the fact that he'd been in jail, he'd been mistreated for 27 years, everybody in the country knew him, I think that's why his people listened. Because what he'd been through was much greater than what they'd been through. And yet he said, we must forgive. We must give compassion. And, and in my estimation, uh, Mandela was a really shrewd dude. But I'm going to tell you something, his ideas aren't new to him. And like I said, he, he's a sinful man. There's lots of mistakes he's made in his life. But, but his ideas of forgiveness and compassion come right out of the pages of Scripture. And, and I want to um, look at what God has to say about this today. Because I want you to think about this. Revenge, bitterness, anger, unforgiveness. All it does is pours gasoline on the fire of a messed up relationship. Forgiveness Puts the fire out, and Mandela modeled that for us. So let me just give you a couple of things real quickly uh, on your listening guide. Forgiveness is not free. There's no such thing as free uh, free forgiveness. The forgiveness of Jesus Christ on the cross is the most expensive free gift you'll ever receive, because it costs God His perfect sinless Son to purchase your life and mine. It's the most expensive free gift you'll ever see. Um, Forgiveness is not fair. Someone wronged us, and we may feel that they should pay for what they did, right? We want to see justice. We want mercy when we do wrong. We want justice when other people do wrong to us. But if, if everybody received exactly what they deserved, this would be a pretty uh, scary planet to live on um, if there was never any mercy. And, and the thing is, maybe they get away with it in this lifetime. That's not fair. Forgiveness is not feelings-driven, Um, If if I felt like forgiving, if if I waited till I felt like forgiving, I don't think I would ever forgive. Anybody else? How many of you just wake up and you think, I just feel like forgiven today? Let me see your hand. Because you need to counsel the rest of us if you feel like that. Tell us what your secret is, what kind of foo-foo juice you're drinking in the morning that, that causes you to do that. Anger, hurt, resentment builds up over time and it destroys our souls and it undermines any leadership that we think we have. And forgiveness is also not Forgetting. That's a myth. Forgiveness doesn't mean you continue to accept or deny the other person's responsibility for their behavior. It does not justify the wrong that was done to you. Forgiving does not necessarily mean reconciling either. Just because you forgive someone doesn't mean that you got to hang out with them 24-7. It doesn't mean that you got to go to lunch with them. Trust is something different than forgiveness. Forgiveness is immediate. Trust takes a long time to rebuild. So those, that's what forgiveness isn't. Let's look what forgiveness is. First of all, forgiveness is a choice. If you'll choose to forgive someone, you'll have healthier relationships. Um, you'll have greater spiritual connection with God and with others. Um, you'll even have better blood pressure. Do you know that? Forgiveness lowers your blood pressure. Forgiveness number two is premeditated. It is well thought out. It is reasoned. It is complete awareness of what they did. It is planned. It is intentional. Forgiveness is a commitment. It's a commitment that I'm going to let go of this grudge. I'm going to let go of bitterness. And you may have to let go of it over and over again. Because here's what we do. We tend to grab it back. We'll lay it down at the foot of the cross and then we take it back. We'll lay it down. And you may have to lay it down a bunch of times before you um, finally let it go. Choosing to forgive someone, not to forgive someone, only holds you captive. It's not the other person. Y'all heard this, and I saw it on Facebook this week, heard it over and over again. Unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Doesn't work. Doesn't make sense. And forgiveness, the last thing, is change. Forgiveness changes your attitude. It changes your behavior. It cha- changes your outlook. And it gets you living the life that Christ wants you to live. So when we forgive someone, we, we are saying that they were wrong. We are saying we do not approve of their actions. And we are saying it was a big deal to us. They hurt us. We're saying all those things. But we're finally saying we're going to do life like Jesus Christ. And look what Jesus Christ said in John 8, 7. Um, Jesus stood up and said, All right, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Anybody in here never sinned? Let me see your hand. Because if you've never sinned, you qualify to throw stones at me when I mess up. And if I've never sinned, I qualify to throw stones at you. But the one qualified to throw stones at the lady caught in adultery, did he throw a stone? No. So what that tells me is if I'm going to throw something, maybe it needs to have forgiveness on it. Maybe it should be a sponge instead of a rock. And that'd be kind of cool. You may not feel very manly doing it, Chad. But, you know, if we threw threw sponges at each other and we say, I forgive you, that'd be kind of cool, right? We may have to try that sometime. Uh, look what it says in Ephesians 4, 27. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Here's the problem. Um, I don't know if you've ever done rock climbing. There's rock climbing wall up at the Y, and, and I've done a little bit, not, not anything big, you know, like you see these crazy extreme sports people do. But what Satan does is he looks for a foothold in your life. Let's say that that the the person who's in Christ and in right standing with Christ, let's say that that you're this big, smooth rock, and Satan is looking for some place he can hold on to. If you're in right standing with God and right standing with others, there's no place he has to to hold on to you. But the moment you nurse a grudge, the moment you nurse bitterness or anger or resentment, it's like there's a little um, crevice, uh, a crevice. a foothold that is, that is placed there, and Satan latches onto that. We actually give him access to our lives. Now, if you're a Christ follower, he cannot possess you, but he can oppress you because of your choices. And if you choose not to forgive someone, it's like putting this little foothold where Satan or one of his demons can latch on and they have direct access to your life and they begin whispering things, trying to nurse that grudge, trying to pour gasoline on that fire. The Bible says don't give him a foothold because he'll take it. And he'll take more and more and he'll, he'll soon become, um, a foothold becomes a stronghold. A foothold where he's just barely hanging on, he makes it wider and wider till he he and some of his demon friends can come and possess that. It becomes a stronghold from which your enemy attacks you repeatedly. Over and over and over again. And then if you aren't careful, it becomes a stranglehold. And your relationship with God is choked out. So the first thing you need to do is you need to learn the math. I think I actually got that out of order. Here's the the math. Here's what you need to understand this equation that's going on. I'm offended. I get angry. I let it go. You're full of stuff if you think you really let something go. Because what we do is instead of letting it go, we sweep it under the rug. But it's still in our life. And, and you know, you hear time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. Time, if you don't cleanse that wound, time causes that to fester. And it's going to come out eventually. So I do this, this math over and over again. I get offended. I get angry. I let it go, which means I don't confront it. I don't do what God says. I sweep it under the rug. And this happens over and over. And it becomes this huge place from which Satan attacks you over and over again. So the first thing you got to do is you better learn the math. If you don't do forgiveness the way Jesus Christ said, to do forgiveness, you have footholds all in your life where Satan is attacking you. Second is watch the sunset. And you've all heard this, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Now, it's not necessarily a literal thing where you're looking at it and saying, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, resolve everything before the sun goes down. But it actually is a pretty good idea to watch the sunset and be reminded every day that we're supposed to keep short accounts with other people. The shorter the accounts, the less opportunity Satan has to get a foothold in my life, the less opportunity he has to have a stronghold, which then gives a stranglehold. I keep short accounts with God and with other people, so I watch the sunset. And then third, once you've you've confronted the way you've done, you learn the math, okay, I'm not going to give Satan a foothold, you keep short accounts. Then the third thing is you enjoy your freedom. Jesus said, I came that you might have abundant life. I don't know very many Christians that are experiencing abundant life. And many times it's because a lack of forgiveness is in their heart. And, and you, you say, you don't know what they did to me. I don't know what they did to you, but God does. And and if Nelson Mandela can be in prison for 27 years and he can forgive people that oppressed him and his, his black um, relatives and friends in South Africa, if God can look down on Jesus Christ, who was an innocent man who was punished for our sins, if God can take the worst thing that was ever done in history, and that's the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and three days later he can turn it into the greatest thing that's ever happened, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then it does not matter what someone has done to you. God's power is enough. Oh, well, you don't know what he did to me. So, so let, me, let me see this. The God who said to Jesus, get up on Sunday morning, doesn't have enough power to help you forgive? Is that what you're going to tell me? I don't think you'd be willing to stand up right now and say that. Because we'd hiss at you. <laughs> Boo. Right? If you're going to say that I can't forgive them... What, is, what does Jesus say in the model prayer? Forgive us this day our trespasses, sins. As we do what? Our forgiveness from God is directly tied into whether we're forgiving others. It's kind of the, the cross symbol. you got the horizontal, you got the vertical. God says, if you can't love people whom you have seen... You can't love me whom you have not seen. This is serious business, and I think it's why so many Christians are anemic in their spiritual lives, is because they hold on to things. Look what Col- Colossians 3:13 says, "Be gentle and ready to forgive. Uh, never hold grudges. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you what what's that word? Is that a suggestion? You should forgive others. You ought to forget. No, you must forgive others. So you picture your, in your mind, when you forgive, picture your mind going back to that smooth rock where Satan does not have access to your life. He doesn't have a foothold. So he just slides off. Wouldn't that be much better? Instead of asking why, uh, instead of saying, um, how could they do this to me? I ask, why am I doing this to myself? Because I'm not hurting them by being angry with them. I'm only hurting myself. Instead of saying, um, uh, well, they hurt me. They took advantage of me. I can't believe they did this to me. We should say, why am I still leashed up to their junk? I mean, in, in, a, very, um, in a very real sense, if you, for, if you do not forgive people, it's like putting handcuffs onto them and you're chained to them. And you're thinking, I can't even stand to be in their presence. They don't have to be in, their, in, in your presence to control you because you're, you're handcuffed to them and you refuse to forgive. Colossians 3.14 says, The most important piece of clothing you must wear is love. Love is what binds us all together in perfect harmony. What's the most important piece of clothing you can wear when you leave your house every day? Love. love. Here's why. When I har- harbor a hurt, I'm leashed to the person who hurt me. And, and if you're like me, I like to share my hurts with others. And so I go and I find my two friends and I say, do you want to hear what they did to me? And, and they're thinking, no, but I tell them anyway. They did this. Can you believe they did this? And they did this. And I just can't believe that. Can you believe they did this to me? And eventually, you know, I keep running this around on the rotisserie grill of my mind and I turn it over and over and I, I attack it from every angle. And, and dudes, dudes don't want to hear all your trash. All right. You know, your, your fishing buddies and all that. They don't want to hear it. And so if you start pouring all this stuff out, eventually they'll get this glazed look on their face. And what they're thinking is, I wish you'd shut up. Right, guys? People start telling you all the junk. You're like, really? I don't like you that much. <laughs> I don't want to hear your stuff. I mean, that's, that's guys. Now, I know ladies connect that way, but here's the thing. If your friends start running away from you when they see you coming, maybe it's because you've got unforgiveness in your heart. And, and to me, unforgiveness, because I know a lot of people. I've been doing this for 30 years. I've seen a lot of people in the church. They're the most miserable people on the planet because they refuse to forgive. And to me, it's a lot like a dirty diaper you ever been in a room with a kid that just was ripe? And, and, you know, my kids are older now, so it's been a while. But, dude, you, you smell that stuff and you're going, do you not know? You're thinking to the parents, you know, I go to your parent, you know, go over there. I used to do that with Caleb when he was little, you know, before Jamie caught on. I'd go, i go, where's mama? He'd run in there. And eventually she goes, did you send him in here to me? No, no, baby, I didn't. She's like, I know, it's your turn. So we had to start doing the whole turns thing. But, but if somebody... I know a lot of people that their lives smell just as bad as a dirty diaper because they are bitter and they're no fun to be around. Um, my, my mom's mom was, I didn't know all this at the time, but I remember as a kid, every picture, every family picture we have, my, my grandma Williamson would be standing there like this. Or if she did look up, she'd you know, have the lip sticking out. And as a kid, I, I said to my mom, I said, what's wrong with her? And my mom would just shake her head. She goes, I don't know. But what it was, was she was very, very angry. She was very bitter. And she wanted people to feel sorry for her. And do you think people did? no. They finally t- quit taking pictures with her. People try, tried not to be around her. Now, she had a rough life. Don't, don't get me wrong. I learned a lot of stuff when I was in my 20s about my grandma that explained a lot about my mom and, uh, and some of the things that, that we went through. Um, but grandma could have been an incredible woman that everybody wanted to be with. But she allowed bitterness and anger and unforgiveness to dominate her life. It's not a sin to be angry. It's a sin what we do with that anger later. We should get angry. We should get angry about injustice. When, when I go to Haiti and i 'm going again in three weeks and I see the trash and some of the things on the on the ground, I think this shouldn 't be this is the most beautiful country i 've ever been to. if we could clean up the trash and, and by the way, this year they are starting to make some progress i didn 't see people just walking down the road eating stuff and throwing trash down didn 't see that this year now there's still years and years of abuse in the country where people just threw trash down anybody kids, adults, everybody just threw trash on the ground and so you see the results of that in their country. I get upset about that I get upset about injustice when I see a kid who doesn't get to go to school simply because they were born in a country where they're below the poverty line. I think that's wrong. We should get upset about injustice. We should get upset about someone who maybe tries to attack our family, who tries to come into our homes. We should get upset. As a pastor, I should get upset with anybody who tries to disrupt the unity of the church because disrupting unity of the church is sin. We need to confront that stuff. There's certain things we need to get angry about. But it's what you do with the anger that determines whether it's sin or not. Jesus, when he came in and he saw the money changers in the temple, he left that night, went back out to Beth, and he spent the night, came back in the next day, chased them out with a whip. Did he sin? No. He said, did you not know that my Father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a robber's den? And the the disciples remembered what was prophesied about the Messiah zeal for God's house will consume him. He chased him out. Did it on a couple of occasions. He didn't sin because he thought what he was going to do and he thought this is the appropriate response and that's what we need to learn how to do. Keep short accounts with God vertically, short accounts with others horizontally. Don't let it lie because if the sun sets too many times on your anger, you forget the source of your anger. And, And because of that, we think to ourselves, well, I'll just change environments. I, I, the sun has set so many times. I don't even remember who made me mad, but I know I don't like that place for some reason. So I'll just go to another place. I'll just I'll change marriages. I'll go over here. I'll change churches, or I know I'll move to the mountains and I'll be okay. No, you're still there. Wherever you go, you are. It would it would be like if I were to go out here today, and, and uh, I've almost laid my bike over because all that gra- gravel that's out there, you know, and I'm, and I'm try to be real careful with that. But you know, you can you can you can get messed up leaving our parking lot if you're going to try to do that little U-turn thing. Let's say I go out today and either coming this way or I make the U-turn and I pull out in front of an 18-wheeler, they, they whack me. And, and so you come upon the scene and I'm laying there and I've got my leg is just barely hanging on and I'm going, help me, I'm hurt. And you call 911, the MTs show up and they go, Doug, we want to fix your leg. And, and I go, don't you touch my leg. Just take me somewhere else. Get me away from the crash scene. Take me to the mountains. Take me to on a cruise ship and I'll be fine. You don't have to worry about my leg. Just remove me from the crash scene and I'll be all right. Pretty stupid, right? Because you could die from that. We do the same thing with, for, with lack of forgiveness, unforgiveness. Whenever we say, well, I'll just, I'll just change friendships. They hurt me, so I'm just going to go over here and find new friends not going to forgive them. I'm going to carry all that junk with me. And at the appropriate time, I'll share. And then I'll have to get new friends. Or new churches or new marriages or whatever it is. It makes no sense. Just because you change locations doesn't mean you've dealt with things the way God wanted you to deal with things. If you ever come to the point you say, I don't know what to do, you look to the cross. And, and I do this. When I get hurt, because I get hurt all the time. When I get hurt and it really hits my heart, I spend time looking at the cross. And I say, if you can forgive me, you're innocent, I'm guilty. I can forgive other guilty people because of what you did on the cross, Jesus. We've got to spend some time doing life the way God did life if we want to have the church that, that God wants us to have, if we want to have the relationships that God wants us to have. I want you to bow your heads for just a second. I want you to think about maybe a person who, who came to mind when I was talking about you being hurt. That person that um, if you see him in Walmart, you run hide in the produce section because you don't want to see them. Or the person at work that you'd rather not be in the same room with them because they just get on your last nerve. Or maybe it's your ex. And the fact that you have to see them over and over because you have joint custody with the children just rips your heart out over and over. And when you think about who it is, whose initials, who is it that hurts you that you're holding on to? And I want to challenge you today to release that to God. I want you to say, God, I can't do this in my power. But I want to be right with you. I want to be right with others. So as best I know how, I'm releasing this person to you. And remind me, God, if I pick it back up, remind me so that I can release it to you again. Father, change us because of what Jesus did on the cross. Make us real followers of Jesus. Who, when he's hanging on the cross, looking down at people who were torturing and killing him, he said, Father, forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing. Make us people like that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.